<laughs> we're on our own. Oh my gosh, we have no leash on Stacy. No, I know, I know. We can no just, strings. I know. What should we do? <laughs> we're gonna go rogue. Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast, where we bring you your ABCs, adventures, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet. I'm Stacy, And I'm Christopher. And with us, as always, is producer Doug. Good oh, morning. Ho, 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 ho. Ho, ho, ho. We're jolly Well, today. it's Christmas. Nice. It's Christmas in Mammoth. Did you know that? It's Christmas in Mammoth. Students are actually sitting in classrooms. And that, yes. for me, oh, yes. that, is, that means major gift time for teachers, for students, for parents, for everybody. It's really great. And you right. are, that is so true. And you can, yes. you can tell how charged I am. Uh, and all I do is string cable and, and uh, crawl through dusty corridors. And, <laughs> and, but when I emerge and I see a kid there smiling, even if he's got a mask, I am so geeked. It was, it's really yeah. cool being back. That's awesome. I talked to the principal at Mammoth Elementary School yesterday, and she was saying it was so great to see smiling eyes because you can't see their mouths because mm. they all have their masks on. We're yeah, all learning yeah. to smile with our eyes yes. now, right? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, welcome back, students. Glad you're back in seats. So it's another beautiful day in the Eastern Sierra, and we got to have a staff meeting yesterday for our yeah, adventure. Yeah, it was fun. Outside at beautiful Convict Lake. Yeah, you know, um, and I was mentioning before we started recording, Stace, you know, I shared this with some old work friends um, from outside the state. I was like, yeah, you know, my boss and I had our meeting, you know, we decided to go anti-Zoom for a day and meet in person outside at the halfway point. And the halfway point between my office and where you are is Convict Lake, one of the That's most right. beautiful places in the Eastern Sierra. Yes, it yeah. is. At any time of year. It's beautiful. And we should remind our listeners, we Stace, you've chatted about Convict Lake on the podcast before, mm-hmm. so they can go back and listen to that earlier episode. Yes. Convict Lake is just <clears throat> south down Highway 395 from Mammoth Lakes. So uh, between Crowley Lake and Mammoth Lakes, there's lots of lakes out here. Uh, it's it's um, It gets its name from a certain kind of... Uh, incident that happened in the late 1800s that involved some escaped convicts and a posse. It was originally known as um, Witsanap by the Paiute Indians. Right. Um, and it is it is just one of the most stunning vistas in the Eastern Sierra and one of the deepest lakes in the Eastern Sierra, I believe. Correct. And legend has it there is an, an enormous, like, thousand-pound trout at the bottom of, maybe it's hundred. <laughs> <laughs> pound trout at the bottom of Convict Lake that, that nobody has ever seen. But that legend has it that that fish is there. And, and like all good fishing legends, the, the fish gets bigger at every retelling. Yeah, and I just expanded it like 10 times. But, you know. <laughs> but you know, with the new fishing regulations that just came out this year, this spring from the state, there were people fishing on the shoreline when yes. we were there. Yeah, I was, I was quite surprised. In the, in the one area right before the boat dock, 
where the water was unfrozen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there were people fishing. I, I, they were they were definitely fishing and not catching, but right. Uh, it looked like fun, and you know, Convict has become quite a recreational lake. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just as likely to see people out there paddleboarding um, around as you are to see people fishing. Yeah. So, um, it's quite a fun lake. It's, you know, not one of the larger lakes, but it's certainly as beautiful with the mountains all around it and easy to get to. Yes. And, and even the trail around, I mean, there was snow on the ground, but the snow was packed on the trail. So you brought Lola and we were able to ha- just have our meeting walking along. We could have probably gone around the entire lake, although we didn't. Right. We did. We didn't have, I didn't have proper shoes to deal with some of the icier conditions, but, mm-hmm. um, Lola, you know, of course loved being outside. She loves going over there, but yesterday she kept getting spooked by the sounds the water was making under the frozen ice. Right. So we've talked about this on the podcast before this phenomenon of when the lakes freeze over, the water underneath is still moving. Right. And it creates these sounds. Christopher, I think you liken them to whale sounds. <laughs> yeah, it's like a big gulp or a whale sound yeah. or, or you a know burp. <laughs> or a burp. It's kind of it's kind of almost unseemly to hear in nature, but it is it's an amazing sound. Yeah, it it really is a cool sound. And every time Lola heard it, she'd pick her head up and perk up her ears and look around. It kind of freaked her out a little bit because <laughs> she couldn't figure out what it was or where it was coming from. But that didn't bother her too much. She had a really good time. <laughs> so yeah, we, we managed to turn our meeting into an adventure um, and share it with the podcast. So for all of you who don't live in the area, um, we hope you're suitably jealous um, <laughs> sitting in front of your Zoom meetings or starting to go back into your offices and workspaces to have meetings. It is okay to have a meeting outside if you can make it work. And it's in a way it's safer during a pandemic. And right. it also just helps you exhale a little bit, right? You're moving, you're talking. We worked through any number of issues and, um, it was just a beautiful day. And I will point out, I actually took a photo of the sign. I'll, I'll post it on the the website that convict Lake is an accessible area. So they, you know, even if you're in a wheelchair, there are portions of the lake that you can get to and fish from. They've, they've made it accessible, which is really impressive to me. Yes. So, um, and, and we should also shout out the fact that the restaurant, which is just down the, and the lodge, which mm-hmm. are just down the road from the lake walkable f- between both, right. um, is open and, um, you know, so if you're in the area, go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. All winter long. So yeah, Convict Lake, great adventure. Uh, listeners, we hope you're begin, beginning to get some springtime adventures, um, but still doing so safely. And go grab something warm to drink while we get ready for our next segment. We'll be right back. Ample oxygen is a basic requirement for human molecular metabolism. Welcome back, O2 listeners. We are at the B portion of our podcast, the book section. So quick cheer. Woo-hoo. Yay! Rah, rah, reading. <laughs> rah, rah, reading. That's what's going to go rah, back reading. in the t-shirt. There you go. That's go. good. So, um, yeah, Stace, we're at books right now. Yes. And this time we decided we would uh, revisit a genre that we haven't talked about in probably a year now, memoirs. Yes. I'm excited to talk about the book that I read. 
and hear about the books that you read too. <laughs> Thank you for qualifying that. That would have been Absolutely. really unfortunate if you weren't excited to talk no, about I'm it. No, I'm definitely excited. <laughs> you so, always have such good taste and so you you choose such good meaty books. I try to hold up my end of the bargain, but I don't think I I do sometimes. So <laughs> I always always appreciate your perspective on books to read. Well, ditto all that back to you. Um, Thank you. I think you choose great books and I think we balance each other pretty well, but our listeners can tell us if we're wrong. Yes. So remember when we first had this conversation about memoirs as a genre, we decided that they can both be autobiographies where they're written by the person themselves, kind of as their life story. Um, that word just kind of gets used interchangeably. Um, or they can be the slice of a life that they're ta- they're writing about or an aspect of their life. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So, I'm actually going to talk about two books, and they kind of fit into both camps there. Okay. Um, and I'm talking about two books, listeners, because I've, I've finished one of them, but I'm nearly done with the other, and I'm just too excited not to talk about it. <laughs> so I just want to share it with you. And I will start with that one. Um, it's called uh, Just As I Am by Cicely Tyson, which came out in January, and you probably saw it in the news the book was published about a week before she passed away. She was actually doing book tours virtually on this memoir um, when she died, and she was well into her 90s. Yeah. The, um, the story is interesting because, you know, Cicely Tyson has been around, well, she's in, in her 90s. She's been around <laughs> a very long time, but she has been resistant to writing her autobiography at all. You know, she's one of those people who didn't feel like you know, she had enough to say, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, which is hard to believe because she's so accomplished. Well, and that's what this, this memoir actually surfaces is that her range of accomplishments is really astounding when you put it between two covers of a book. So, yeah. um, you know, just recap for people who may not be as familiar with Cicely Tyson. I think people in our generation stays kind of Gen X or whatever are, have, have known her since we were kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's, she started modeling and acting back in the fifties and sixties. And in the sixties, she actually broadened into a lot of TV roles where she was the first, she was the first black woman to be in a dramatic TV series. The first black woman to be on a soap opera. She was on guiding light for a period in the sixties. Um, she was the first black woman to wear her hair natural on TV, which was controversial. And she describes Mm. going into the barber shop in Manhattan to get her hair cut so short that it would come back natural. And the barber like being afraid to do it. Um, (laughs) and now of course that's, you know, that, uh, black hair is a thing, right? That there's a whole um, construct around it. And she was kind of the first to make it make it acceptable on, on mainstream TV. She really came to national attention um, by being nominated for an Oscar for Sounder in the early 70s. Um, and then she continued with TV that that whole decade, you know, doing the autobiography of Ms. Jane Pittman and then Roots, which Roots. everybody in the country watched, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. That was like, that was a huge deal. I remember that. Um, like we all like, it was a multi-episode miniseries. Right. We all, <laughs> we finished dinner in time and then would go sit in front of the TV and watch Roots. It was, it was an amazing experience. And I felt like yes. everyone in the United States was, was sharing in. So she continued that trajectory. She continued with TV and Broadway with, um, uh, 
a number of plays and movies right up until the end. She most recently she was working on how to get away with murder. Right. Um, yeah. Had, yeah. And had done stuff right up into 2020. So she was working solid and working her tail off. And, you know, in this book, you learn she's really holding to her principles of, of what roles she wants to play and how she will approach them very tightly. But what I found fascinating about her story is I didn't, again, I didn't realize how old she actually was. She was born in 1924. She didn't start acting until her thirties in the fifties. So she had like a whole third of her life before she was even put in front of a camera or on stage, even though she always looked young for her age, which probably helped her out. She in fact married and had her daughter during the early days of world war two. And that portion of the book, I think, is what was most interesting to me so far, because it's this window into women's workplaces in post-war America from World War II until the 50s when her career, acting career, took off. She basically was in secretarial pools and stuff like that, right? Which, at that age, in that time period, was considered women's work. Right. (laughs) And um, it's where she developed a strong work ethic. So... I found that whole portion of, of the book, which is probably the first third of the book, um, mm-hmm. very, very interesting. And, and her description of her parents and, and what have you. <clears throat> Later on, she goes into not just her career, but in her decades-long off-and-on-again relationship with jazz great Miles Davis. And also just um, her work with civil rights issues alongside many of the other um, famous actors and, and singers and, and, and people who were... Um, in that civil rights movement in the fifties, mm-hmm. sixties and seventies, you know, Dr. King, Aretha Franklin, Harry Belafonte, you know, um, she was there with all of them. And so it, it just, you reading this book and you think, Oh my God, this, this woman is an icon. She's, <laughs> she's seen it all, you know, and she's one of those people who has lived through so many different things. And I think that's one of the things that I love about this genre of books is mm-hmm. that you learn you know, you have this preconceived notion of what this person did or is doing or what their life was like. And then you, you get the real story and you learn so much, not just about the individual, but the context of the times that they lived in. Oh, entirely. And the times she was living in, in the thirties and forties, when she was a young woman in New York city are very different than, you know, the, 20s 2000s you know right i mean it's just night and day and she experienced all that change so that is just as i am by cicely tyson we've got copies coming into the library you can find it in your local bookstores um really great reviews i i recommend it even though i'm not completely done with it but then i read another memoir stace that was just completely different okay (laughs) um Sorry, I just needed to take a breath there. So thank you for saying okay. Um, (laughs) This one uh, was written by uh, Billy Baker, who is a Boston Globe writer. um, And he writes for other publications as well, but basically a journalist and also kind of a humorist in a way. Um, And it's called We Need to Hang Out, A Memoir of Making Friends. I think I need to read this book. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I want everyone to read this book. This is a, you know, one of those magical books that comes along about every other month that you just want to put it in everyone's hands yeah. because there's something in it for everyone. So let me just describe a little bit about it and why he's doing it. This, this memoir, we need to hang out a memoir of making friends 
tackles the topic of middle-aged loneliness through his own experience. Um, and he describes at the beginning how this loneliness is increasingly understood as a feeder of early disease and death. There are multiple mm. studies coming out showing this. And that recent generations have become increasingly prone to middle-aged and old-age loneliness, with many of them indicating that Gen Generation Y and Gen Z and millennials are set to become the loneliest in history, which kind of grabs you, right? But, um, right. But doesn't it make sense mm -hmm. with, I mean, not only because they're, you know, going through the pandemic at a young age, mm -hmm. but their involvement with social media Right. You know, that that's their social outlet, but yet they're just in a room by themselves. Yeah. And it's interesting because he goes into that and, and, and the different studies that show what impacts, um, interactions with friends and what friends mm -hmm. are and what have you. And, um, and, and whether you think you're connecting with them or whether you really aren't and whether social media is true connection or not. Right. But, you know, it's becoming a bigger issue is what I should say. And, and in fact, so big that the United Kingdom has set up a minister of loneliness position under wow. the prime minister to help mitigate the issue as the population ages. Now, Baker wow. sets the stage well. He's, you know, he admits this affects men and women, but he focuses on men for this memoir because he's writing it through his own lens. And he also doesn't feel like he should be the voice for how women experience it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a book where he talks about the issue and then intersperses it all with attempts or efforts to reconnect with his old friends in a meaningful way and also find new ones. He is a happily married man. He's a father of two wonderful kids. And at the beginning of this, when he's given this assignment, he's just entering his forties. So he's a little bit older now. Okay. Um, and he kind of ruefully takes this assignment as a newspaper article. Um, but as he gets into it, it really begins to take over his life until ultimately it becomes this book. Um, hmm. It took him a number of years to do this, but it really caused him to reflect on his own long-lasting friendships and whether they meet the criteria that studies indicate would stave off loneliness. And the one, I mentioned this to you yesterday, Stace, the one key study question that is an indicator is, other than a spouse or close family member, do you have someone you could call at 2 a.m. in a crisis? Right. And he that I read that sentence and immediately stopped reading. And I'm sure many of our listeners are now pondering in the back of their heads, right. who is that person that you would call at 2 a.m. in a crisis? And do you have a name that comes to head to mind? I, yeah. you know, so, um, it, it really kind of grabbed me there. He also points out that men and women react differently to crisis and communication within friendships and how they bond and keep those bonds strong. Um, and he talks about studies that show that women are more genetically wired to connect with friends and family and talk through things when there's something important or a crisis happening. And that women are more likely to be able to have meaningful bonding over a telephone. You know, they don't have to be face to face. Mm -hmm. Whereas, men in a crisis are more wired to fight or flight, both of which are the opposite of connecting and talking through issues, right? Right. right. And he kind of half-jokingly says, but it's largely true, men are ba barely able to stay on the phone for more than a few minutes if it's not work-related. <laughs> which is so true. I mean, I true. think in general. 
I, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't know about in general, but I agree with him because I hate <laughs> being on the phone if it's not work related. Um, and he actually goes, goes on to say that, you know, rather than talk and talk things through studies show that men bond and form long lasting friendships through doing things through activities right. like sports and team stuff, outdoor stuff, crafting, right. gaming. And he proves this point multiple times in his own efforts throughout this book. But to our earlier point in the conversation, a lot of those types of in-person activities are increasingly sidelined in favor of work and commute and screen mm-hmm. time or TV time or you know right. picking up your kids from soccer practice, all those kinds of things. So throughout the book, you know, he sets the stage with all that stuff. Throughout the book, he brings in numerous experts, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. His approach is very humorous. It's self-deprecating, which makes the difficult topic readable, especially for guys who may find this, you know, a little too touchy-feely a topic to come close to. Yeah. The book is is written. F- I think the book is written for guys, which is to say, you know, um, he points this out in the book, women will talk face to face. They'll sit down across the table from each other and have a conversation face to face as a natural thing. Guys are more inclined to talk side by side, you know, sitting next to each other at a hockey game, chatting and catching up right. on stuff. That's kind of how this, sure. that's kind of how this book reads, you know, it's right. Comments and jokes pepper the real information and the heavy stuff is always balanced by, you know, lighthearted hijinks of him and his friends. And those range from hanging out with, you know, reconnecting with old friends and hanging out and driving around town with them like they used to do as teenagers to, you know, organizing a senior ditch day with his old high school <laughs> class. Um, you know, even to grabbing a bunch of his old college and high school buddies and convincing them to fly to Yellowstone to go on a hidden treasure hunt, all dressed as characters from the Goonies, which is just one of the funniest chapters. Pretty extreme. (laughs) No, it just kind of reminded me of like that, those movies, like the hangover or whatever, you know, you got these guys in their forties all dressed like you know, <laughs> it's yes. really funny. I will let people <laughs> read that. But throughout, he's, ex- you know, to our earlier comment, you know, he's examining what is a friend versus what is a family member versus what is a relationship that is just a proximity relationship, meaning, you know, a coworker, but you don't really interact with them outside of work. Right. And what are the pitfalls and the strengths of each of these? Again, highly readable. I think this will be a great book discussion pick. You know, yeah. a lot of us started hearing about the Mad Ched movement back, you know, about a decade or so ago, he writes about that, you know, this is a place for men to go escape and bond. Um, I think the final few pages of this book are the best, you know, throughout the, throughout the book, he's constantly second guessing the effectiveness of his efforts to, to reconnect with old friends or to make new friends. So I'm not going to give away the ending. Um, but I will guarantee that it will make even the most skeptical reader choke up a little. So, yeah. So just so I just want to just clarify. So this is more this is like his experience with this topic in trying to yep. have these relationships. It's it's he doesn't like there's no chapter that says, well, here's what you can do if you want to. It's more of like you said, it's like a two guys at a hockey game having a conversation telling about yeah. One's telling about their experience. It is. It's it's not prescriptive. It's really just here's what I went through. He he experiments on himself, basically, right? And mm-hmm. um he's really careful not to be too prescriptive, but he asks all the questions that make you think, Oh my gosh, am I set up to fall into middle aged loneliness? And it really made me think a lot. And I think that's why this is gonna be a great book discussion 
pick throughout this year. So yeah, it's called We yeah. Need to Hang Out, A Memoir of Making Friends by Billy Baker. We've got copies coming in the library and you can find it in your bookstore. It's a great read. So that's I, I want to read it. Oh, I think you should. For sure. <laughs> and I want to yeah. talk to you after you're done. <laughs> yes, you got it. We'll we'll definitely do that. I you um, know I Yeah. Interesting. Well, the book, so the book that I chose for, for this discussion kind of falls somewhere in the middle mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. of the, the slice of life and the, you know, the overall philosophy right. or, you know, situation. Um, and it's called A Life Without Limits, A World Champion's Journey. It's written by Chrissy Wellington. And it was published in 2012, so it's nearly 10 years old now. Wow. But Chris, so I heard about this book. I I am a Peloton writer, and one of the instructors that I take classes from, Matt Wilpers, he talks about this book all the time. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, references it, it, you know, from an athlete's perspective, things that she says. And so when we decided to do memoirs, I thought, oh, okay, I'm, this is finally an opportunity to read this book. Right. So, and as you know, when I was in my younger days, I participated in triathlons and, you know, ran marathons and half marathons and all that. So mm-hmm. really, you know, I understand the commitment and the time and the mindset that it takes to be a triathlete. And so I really wanted to delve in and see, but this is, this isn't just any triathlete, right? This is a world-class triathlete. So was really intrigued to read her story. So she was born and raised in the UK. She had a very short road from deciding she wanted to do triathlon to becoming a world champion, like less than a year. Wow. And even as a kid, she was a swimmer, but she did not start running or cycling until much later in life. In fact, she was nearly 30 when she joined her first coach for becoming a a professional triathlete. Oh my god. Which gosh. is very long, you know, <laughs> that's pretty far down the road for <laughs> somebody to be this good at what at what they do. Right. Um, as a child or as a, you know, teenager and a young adult, she struggled with eating disorders this is another thing that I connected with mm-hmm. her on as mm-hmm. somebody who's gone through that themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, she, she discusses that very openly and frankly, um, you know, in, in the book and, mm-hmm. um, handles it really well, I think. Um, so prior to becoming a triathlete and she did not do her first Ironman triathlon until 2007. Mm -hmm. But in 2006, on a whim, she entered what's called the Coast to Coast, which is a 243-kilometer two-day endurance race across the Southern Alps of New Zealand. On a whim. On a whim. And it not, not only on a whim, but she didn't even know how to kayak. (laughs) So she decided to enter the race a week before and then she had to get a, cert- a kayaking certification. Should have learned how to kayak and then get a certification like in a week's time in order to, to do this race. She borrowed a bike. Oh my gosh. And she finished second. Oh my <laughs> so, gosh. I mean, so, so this, this woman has some definite, I mean, not only does she have this m- incredible mindset. 
-hmm. about getting over pain and getting over fear. But, you know, she has this physical gift of being able to do these endurance Mm -hmm. races. So that's just like, it's, it's a sense of courage and adventure coming together to just, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, I, I was kind of jealous of her reading this book because, you know, when she was a kid and when she was a, a young adult and going through college and whatnot, prior to, to becoming this athlete prior to the coast to coast race, she was, um, a, a, she had a role with the, the British government in international development. Mm -hmm. And then she went and worked for the rural reconstruction in Nepal and she lived and she traveled all over the world. And you sometimes had to stay in the squalid conditions Mm -hmm. and her parents, you know, they always encouraged her, you know, yeah. to get out there. There was never a time where they said, no, you shouldn't do that. Right? No, that or or a, you need to take the safe route. Yeah. That's kind of an important factor in life, right? Is having that support and that encouragement from people who are close to you. Absolutely. And I, and I think that that was really, you know, unique for her um, and, and really gave her the capacity to take all these risks, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So anybody who is um, familiar with tri- the sport of triathlon has heard of Paula Newby Frazier. Uh, pa- you know, she's a goddess in the sport. <laughs> I remember when I was in a bike store in San Diego buying a bike and she walked in and everybody in the bike store was like, oh, that's Paula Newby Frazier. <laughs> and I was like, you know, as an age grouper, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't ask her for her autograph, but <laughs> I wanted to. Okay. So anyways, back to the point, Paul. So Chrissy Wellington broke Paula Newby Frazier's Ironman world championship record in 2009. That record had stood for 17 years. Wow. And she won not only that, but she won the Iron. Now, the World Ironman World Champions are the race that takes place in Kona, Hawaii every mm-hmm. October. Right. So Chrissy Wellington won her first Ironman in 2007. She had just turned pro like six months before. She had only done one other Ironman. Wow. She arrived in Kona, nobody, like two days before the race, nobody knew who she was. She stayed in a room, literally a room with two other guys, men, who she didn't even know because that was the only place she could find at that point. (laughs) And she came out of nowhere and won, won that race, nearly breaking the marathon leg record. Is she just like a natural athlete? Like I think a comp- she is. <laughs> a robot, yeah. it sounds like. I, you know, I thought about that when I was like writing up my comments to talk about this woman in this book, you know, that she has this natural ability, but yet I didn't want to, I, you know, I, I kind of hesitate to say that because it takes so much work and training to complete an Ironman, let right. alone finish it. So I, I don't want to denigrate right. the work that she had to do. Right. Um, 
you know, by saying that, well, she, it's just a natural ability because so much work goes into it. Yeah. But, that's, that's a good point. And, and thank you for clarifying that. So, yeah. So she, I mean, she's just so amazing. She is, she overcame so much in her career as a, as an Ironman. Um, in 2009, she had the shingles. <laughs> And she still went ahead and participated in an Ironman in Germany and completed that Ironman in eight hours, 31 minutes, and 59 seconds. Oh, my gosh. Which beat the previous year's record by 13 minutes. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, and she had the shingles. I would be moaning in bed. Yeah, exactly. So in, in 2010, she did not compete. She had to withdraw from the Ironman because she had strep throat and a bacterial infection. And, you know, and even at that point, you know, with a fever and everything, woke up that morning, well, should I do it? <laughs> and, and then decided not to. But her, her greatest achievement was in 2011, she was registered, you know, ready to go to Kona. You know, mm -hmm. she still, even though she didn't race it the year before, um, she, um, you know, is still a previous world champion. And she was in an, an accident and she uh, received severe road rash, oh. which was equivalent to second and three degree burns. Oh. She had injuries to her elbow, to her hip. She described the pain as intense, much worse than the fractures she had suffered earlier in the year, even though the x-rays showed no broken bones. Oh, my gosh. She had an infection in her leg. <laughs> she couldn't swim more than two lengths of the pool just like the week before the race. And she still but raced? She, she still raced. She decided like at the last minute. So this race takes place on a Saturday. On Wednesday, she flew from Colorado where she was training to Hawaii and like at the last minute and went through and raced and she won. Of course again. she won. <laughs> so, um, oh you know, again, gosh. under nine hours. Oh so, my gosh. You know, under nine hours for an Ironman. And so for people that don't know, you know, any listeners that aren't familiar with an Ironman, you're swimming 2.4 miles, I believe it's a 112 mile bike ride, and mm -hmm. then a marathon. Yeah. Back oh. to back to back. So really just an incredible athlete. And of course, all along the way, she has these kernels of wisdom, you know, things that she tells herself that get her through this, you know, that were really inspiring to read, um, to, you know, for me to, to read and see. And, you know, I, I have things highlighted that I want to write on post-it notes to, right. you know, stick on my bike or <laughs> right. so to keep me motivated, but she, in 2010, she was honored with an MBE, which stands for the most excellent order of the British empire. I love that. Wow. Name of that award. That's the little ribbon you get from the queen, right? Correct. Correct. Although she got hers was awarded to her, given to her by Prince Charles. I guess uh. the queen, queen had that day off, but <laughs> still a big deal. Yeah. And she also received an honorary doc, 
doctorate from the University of Birmingham, where she had received her bachelor's degree. She did retire in 2013, and um, she got married in 2015, and they, she and her husband, who's also a, an athlete, um, have a daughter now. And mm-hmm. she, it just was a really tremendous story, uh, to read and all of the setbacks that she had, you know, nothing ever deterred her. She just kept on going and, um, wow. You know, that's just like, sorry to interrupt. No, you're- I, I, I can totally see why a Peloton instructor would recommend this title and it, it, this story. Cause it's just someone who clearly doesn't let a setback get in her way unless she absolutely has to, right? Like, right. You know, and for those of us who, you know, <laughs> you know, I have a, like a, a, like a sore leg or something like that. I won't go out and do my, <laughs> my run, which is probably good because I'm not in the <laughs> condition that she is, but still it's like, <laughs> you know, h- how far should you go before you, you feel like, oh, you, you can't do this, you know? And then, right. Cause Absolutely. she's really committed to it. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, and you know, and she, you know, she talks all, you know, she had this very strong interest in international development, you Mm -hmm. know, where she worked for, you know, in, in that field for several years before, you know, becoming a full-time athlete. And she, she made the conscious decision when she became a professional to you, you know, and as she started winning these races, um, and being recognized that she would use her platform to try to, you know, pursue those causes of development that were so right. close to her heart. And, right. you know, she talks about how the, you know, when you win a race, you, there's an award ceremony after, and you get to make a speech yeah. and how she really, that was the, you know, she felt like that speech had to be, it had to be motivating. It had to have a purpose. It had to talk about causes that were near to her heart. And she, you know, she really used that, that platform. And, um, you know, right now as, you know, a retired athlete, she campaigns for equality for women in prize money and sponsorship and equal opportunities. And, you know, she, she still uses her, her fame and her notoriety to advance causes that are close to her, which, you know, is really admirable. That is totally admirable. So that was called A Life Without Limits, A World Champion's Journey by Chrissy Wellington. Great read. She's a great, she was a great writer. Yeah. You know, um, she did a great job and it's, um, you know, it's not preachy in any way. It's got a lot of humor in it. And Well, I'm adding so. it to my list. I think I need that kind of inspiration these days. <laughs> It's very inspirational, and we will talk about it after you read it. Well, Well, listeners, we hope you found something to read from these three titles. Um, They all sound really good. And let us know what you're reading or what you think we should read next by going to oxygenstartpodcast.com and and using the Contact Us link to send us suggestions or reactions. In the meantime, we will be back shortly with our conversation segment. Stay tuned. Oxygen. A colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number 8 and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved. Suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen-starved podcast. A colorless, odorless, 
culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now. Welcome back, listeners. We are at the C part, the conversation part of our episode, and we are so thrilled today to have back with us our first repeat guest, Sandra DiDemizio from Green Fox Events. Hi, Sandra. Yay. Hi. (laughs) Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, we, it's it's a, a thrill and an honor. We we enjoyed having you on so much the first time, and we're so happy you could join us again today. Things have changed a lot since you were with us the first time, oh haven't gosh, they? Yeah. Yes. What what a year will bring, huh? Yes, for <laughs> sure. Sandra, can you quickly, for any of our listeners that did not catch uh, the f- the first time you joined us, just give us a quick update on what you do here in Mono County and just a teensy bit of your backstory. I will, gladly. And um, I want to say hello to all your listeners and thank you both for having me back um, so I own a business in, in Mammoth Lakes. It's called Green Fox Events and Guest Services. And we plan and manage events and group services of all shapes and sizes, both in the Eastern Sierra and beyond. We love traveling to Southern California <laughs> or other countries if clients want to take us with them. <laughs> um, and we try to do all of that as environmentally consciously as possible. Um, But besides that, I'm also involved in the Chamber of Commerce. And most recently, I've I've offered our services or my services to the Mono County Health Department to help coordinate our Mono County COVID-19 vaccine clinics. Wow. So um, I'm the vaccine clinic special coordinator. That's fabulous. And you guys are doing such a great job. I have to say it's, it's been an unbelievable experience and an amazing team effort. Um, you know, I'm the layperson here, but all of those public health employees have been, excuse the expression balls to the walls since <laughs> 13th. Right. And then yeah. there, there's hospital staff that, that participate in the vaccine clinics. There are tons of volunteers, Mammoth Lakes tourism helps. So it's just been such an amazing group effort unified in, you know, getting our county moving forward. You know, Sandra, um, Stace and I are both privileged and benefited from having gone through that, the vaccine. So grateful mm-hmm. for that. Um, yep. the thing that impressed me about going to the clinic both times was a, the number of people that were there. Like I barely walked into the parking lot before someone said, Hey, are you here for the vaccine? What time is your slot? Yeah. Just go right through there. And everyone was like really welcoming and really friendly. And the process moved so quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, if we didn't have to sit for the 15 to 20 minutes after the shot, I could have been out of there in less than two minutes. And it was so impressive, but it was obviously a big thing, at least in Mammoth Lakes. I'm not sure about the rest of the County. What, what goes into planning all of that out? Um, I'm so glad to hear your experience was positive. 
And so besides all of the staff and volunteers working at the clinic, you know, we, what, what I did when I started working with them is just observe the first couple of mm-hmm. clinics and how they were running. And while, you know, all of our public health professionals are tireless and amazing, you know, I think they acknowledge that there aren't, they aren't necessarily event producers or people movers. Right. So, um, I drafted an operating plan, you know, after watching the first couple of clinics and we just identified ways to move people more efficiently from one station to the next. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, created a signage plan so that all of our clients were just informed and educated from the moment they drove in and parked until after they got their vaccine. Um, and then we also addressed all of the communications that people get before, before they make their appointment, and then after they make their appointment and before they come to the clinic. And, and that's an ongoing process. But our goal is to have all of our clients educated and feeling comfortable before they come to the clinic. And then that helps the clinic run smoothly on site. Right. 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 Well, then- it definitely it definitely was smooth. And I mean, if if a vaccine clinic could be compared to Disneyland, you guys, <laughs> you hit it out of the park. Right. Come on. It's true. It was just so efficient. I will back that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know, I studied Kaizen. I don't know if you know Kaizen or Six Sigma, Mm -hmm. you know, processes. And one of my professors was a consultant to Disney. And I remember learning about like line management and um, flow rate and, you know, how to make, you know, the movement through a process extremely efficient. So thanks for pointing that out. I feel like (laughs) Disney has inspired our clinics. I will, I will just add, I mean, listeners don't need to hear us just gush about customer experience at a vaccine clinic, (laughs) but having been involved in a lot of customer experience work in my previous role, where we talked a lot about what we call the five E's, everything from, entrance to exit to extension. And that's kind of stuff that you've been talking about already, Sandra. I will just say, I was just so impressed. Again, walked onto the parking lot, was greeted and welcomed, and then was walking off the parking lot and someone said, congratulations. And I was like, man, that was really good extension of the customer experience. I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, I have to say, I thought that was really funny and a little strange when people were congratulating me on getting my second vaccine (laughs) and giving me a sticker. I was kind of like, oh, okay. All right. People like stickers. It was, it was, it was really, it's a big deal. Well done. Well done. <laughs> to answer one of your earlier questions, yeah, our Mammoth Lakes clinics are bigger than all the other clinics in the county, um, but the other clinics are just a smaller version mm-hmm. of our Mammoth clinic. So we we try to com- do the same communications with all the clients beforehand and on site. We just have you know fewer staff and mm-hmm. less vaccine stations, um, and the lines are shorter in mm-hmm. Benton and in Bridgeport and in Walker. But it's it, it it seems like everyone has been so appreciative and excited and a little nervous to get their vaccines. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Mono County has gotten at least as of we're recording, we have one of the highest vaccination rates in the state. I understand, right? Yes, the highest per capita. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Great. I even 
We had a call, the county superintendents, we had a call with the governor's staff and they were telling us how we have to, everybody has to go to this system now called my turn that the state is implementing. And I actually, you know, raised my hand and said, do we have to? Because in (laughs) Mono County, we really have this dialed in and I'm really afraid that going to the state system is going to screw this up. (laughs) So, wow. (laughs) They said, they said no, they said no, but I tried. (laughs) They said, no, we don't have to, or no, they said, no, we, we have to go to their system. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the reservation system whereby someone pre-registers themselves and then they get invited to a clinic and then they get entered at the clinic and they're, and, you know, we entered left arm or right arm. And if they had any adverse events, like that whole program is called prep mod hmm. and uh, we've been using it since the beginning. And yes, the state has asked us to transition to this new portal called my turn, which means we have to migrate everyone that's in our database that has pre-registered themselves into a new database. So we risk losing data when we do that. And we hope that people, and then we need people to kind of re-register themselves. So it's a thing. And we have used it for some small clinics as, as a, as trial. Um, and there are some glitches to it, but I do think it'll work out and, uh, we eventually have to use it. So wish us luck. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's, it's, it hasn't gotten good reviews in other places, but move, moving on. So Sandra, (laughs) you know, as far as you know, now that we're starting to see some some relief and there's a chance that we're going to come out and be in, by the time this episode airs, we might actually be in the red tier heading to the orange. Um, so as things start to open up again, what do you envision for your, for events taking place in the county? Well, we have a little bit of guidance with, um, with our, from our county health directors, with regards to retail, lodging, and restaurants, but we don't always get guidance on gatherings and events. Um, unfortunately, sometimes they're overlooked, or um, you know, priority just in communications is given to retail, lodging, mm-hmm. and um, restaurants. And so, we do have a group meeting coming up with our um, health advisor on events and gatherings. So we'll get some direction, but you know, in the last, in the last 12 months at our worst moment, we were still allowed outdoor wedding ceremonies of up to Mm -hmm. 30 people. Um, and they were allowed to dine together outdoors in groups of six. So it's not optimal, but we, we did manage to have some, what we call micro weddings this past year. Uh, You know, I'm hopeful that things are slowly going to open and we're going to get back to somewhat normal um, by the fall. But we have had some of our clients that have events on the books in May and June cancel their events or postpone until September and October. Wow. Yeah, that well, seems hope, like... Well, go ahead, Stace. No, I was going to say, I, I hope by then, you know, people will be able to have weddings that they had dreamed about having. and. Yeah, you know, rather than micro weddings, which I'm sure they dream, you know, the dreams turned really good about those two. <laughs> you know well, what, Stacey? We had in 2020, we lost 
20 of our scheduled weddings, but we managed to pick up about 12 micro weddings or elopements. And those clients that had to elope or have a very small group, all of them said it was the best day of their lives. Really? Oh, nice. Yeah. So yeah. we try to, we try to, um, convince our clients, like, even though you have to change your new plan, your plan or, um, shift into this smaller event, it's still going to be the best day of your life. And it, and it, and it has been nice. Do you get a sense, Sandra, that, um, they feel it is more special just because of everything that's going on around them too? Like it's more poignant or is it just because now they're happily married? I think both, but your first point I think is, is dead on. Um, you know, there's so much more emotion that's in, that's infused in the day now and being able to gather with your, with your closest loved ones, I think is even more special. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, if you've ever attended an event, a conference or meeting or a wedding, the larger the conference or the larger the the gathering, the less time you have with people. So the smaller the group, you know, the more time you have with people. And also you're in one of your favorite places on earth. So combine your loved ones, the emotion with your physical surroundings, which are breathtaking. It, all of that makes for a truly special experience. Yeah. My, my partner works down in the registrar's office in Inyo County and they were seeing people come from all over the state to get marriage licenses. Cause I guess in other counties, the offices would close. Um, and so I kind of just was sensing that there were people out there who were determined or compelled during this period to still go forward with getting married. And there's something special about that. I agree. There were some that, you know, were compelled to get married. And then there were some that were, uh, I guess just turned off and, and frustrated with having to change their plan so many times. So, uh, yeah, it's been both a positive and a negative in the wedding industry for sure. And so does this mean your 2021 year is going to be completely crazy once you finish with the vaccine clinics? <laughs> because everybody who couldn't get married or chose not to in 2020 is, you know, going to proceed in 2021? Great question, Dr. Adler. Um, <laughs> the, the, the first answer is yes. Our, all of our events that postponed from 2020 moved to 2021. So our 2021 calendar is looking very full. And that's not just weddings. That's corporate retreats, um, right. other private events and meetings. However, we are starting to see some cancellations, especially for, you know, all of our groups and events between now and June. They're just yeah. not convinced that they can have the experience that they want. So we're, we're just crossing our fingers that 2021 remains fruitful. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it isn't, you know, my staff and I have gotten creative and and resourceful. So we've diversified our income a little bit. We have um, different revenue streams that we didn't have years ago. And um, we're offering different services too, that aren't just group and gathering related. So I think we'll be good. And we've also taken advantage of, you know, all the PPE and Mm -hmm. small business loans available. So I'm very fortunate. Uh, Our business is very fortunate, but I do know that 
you know, other businesses in the area have not been so fortunate. So while 2021 is looking good for us, I know a lot of businesses have a lot of recovery to do. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, Sandra, you casually tossed off at the beginning of this that um, it's not just local events that you like to do. If there are things in Southern California or elsewhere outside the country, your your group will support traveling to support events. So is that something, a business that you're growing? And if it's to nice, warm island locales, do you need someone to carry the luggage? <laughs> you always need a handler, Christopher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we do have a couple corporate clients that they're not from Mammoth. They're based in Southern California and their annual sales meeting or their annual retreat is in a different location every year. And we just have a loyal relationship with them and they take us with them or they have us plan their annual sales meeting wherever it is. So we have the great fortune of working in, you know, the San Diego area, Orange County, even in um, Florida, um, in Europe before, so those, those couple of clients are very special to us. Whereas, you know, I'd say 90% of our work is in the Eastern Sierra, but getting away once in a while for an, a great client is, is so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope you get to do it, especially after this year, you know. Definitely. I would hire you in a flash. <laughs> Wait, what about me? Casey, we will create, I will create a job for you. Oh, awesome. Okay. Cause you know, Christopher and I, we're a pair. We go together. <laughs> so show on the road. We could totally. do the show from, yeah, that would, we would do that. We're used for to it sure. now. Yeah. So, so let's, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead, Christopher. <laughs> See, we're being too polite, Stace. <laughs> well, Sandra's Canadian. You know, we have to rise to the, the her standard. <laughs> We should remind our listeners that we can't see each other when we record remote. We're using software that doesn't have video. So we're trying to learn how not to step on each other as we talk. Um, And we thank our listeners for their patience. Yes. Sandra, let's shift to what have have you been reading this year? Or are you reading anything uh, right now that you would recommend to others? And as a librarian, I've heard from a lot of people this year that being able to focus on reading a book has been a challenge, and I know I've experienced that myself. So I'd be curious to think, if, understand if you've faced that as well around reading. Um, thank you, Christopher. You know, I'm a I'm a, an admitted extreme multitasker, and what that means is I don't make time to read as I should. And it's yeah, it probably has gotten worse mm-hmm. in the last year. Um, yeah, I find it hard to sit and relax and focus. I probably need to meditate more, but what I do (laughs) do is I love listening to books Mm -hmm. and the book club. And I'm the token book club member who is either ill-prepared for our book club meetings (laughs) or is listening to the book rather than reading it. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm listening to a book called Anxious People by Frederick Backman. Yay. Yay. Author of A Man Called Ove. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I like it. I need gripping. I, I don't, I don't want like a long philosophical, you know, plot. I need something that grips me from the beginning, keeps me high. And then like, wows me at the end because, right. because I don't have much time to listen or, or read a book. And then, um, I do want to tell you what's in my queue though, because I'm excited about the next book, which is something called when no one is watching by Elisa Cole. 
And the reason I picked it, and I picked that for our book club, is because it's narrated by my friend Susan Dalian, who used to live in Mammoth Lakes. Wow. Yeah, she used to work with me, and she's an actress and a director, and she has since moved to L.A., with her family, but I can't wait to hear her voice again. So that one's going to be called when no one is watching. That's a special thing, right? Yeah. And Susan, that should be great doing that. Right. Yeah. And she's been nominated for, I think it's called an Audi award. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's so awesome. Can't wait to hear it. You know, in my last job, we had a book recording studio where we would um, bring in, you know, it was New York City, so there was always actors or voiceover artists or something who needed to keep their craft up, and they would come in and, and narrate audiobooks. And that is actually a much more difficult job than people appreciate, and the narrator can make or break a book in audio form. Definitely. Totally. totally. And when you read the reviews on Audible about the book. So often the reviews are about the narrator and his right. or her voice. <laughs> yeah. It's important. Stace yeah. and I decided we're going to do audiobooks for our next podcast after this one. We're going to oh, each listen yes. to. So we'll chat about that as well. I know now I might have to listen to when no one is watching. I was going to do a nonfiction, but we'll, we'll, we'll chat about that later. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, we actually talked about anxious people on a, just a couple weeks ago on the podcast and, um, I hope you're enjoying it. I really, I enjoyed it quite a lot. I, I, I like Bachman's writing quite a lot. Yeah. I, and I like this book so far. I like the narrator Mm -hmm. and I like the characters. Um, and I, it's my, I, I call it my clinic book because <laughs> I listen to it whenever I drive to Bridgeport or Benton right. or Walker. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I don't know who the, who the burglar, who the robber is yet. So <laughs> we won't give it away. We won't tell, <laughs> <laughs> but it is nice, you know, out here, I do that too, Sandra, that like you have these long drives where it's, you know, a half hour or an hour or even more to get from one place to another around the Eastern Sierra and having a long book to listen to, you can just kind of sink into is really a nice, nice byproduct of those drives. After, after you're done listening to our podcast, of course, <laughs> you know, when you've caught up with the podcast, then to have a, a book is really great. You're so right. <laughs> Thank you for keeping us on point, Stacy. Well, you know, it's my job. <laughs> and Sandra, thank you for coming back to join us. You know, Stacy and I chatted like we laughed so much when you first joined us on the podcast. And it is really special to have you back and, and just feel joy and laughter again. And again, congratulations and thank you for what you and your team are doing to support the vaccination clinics around the county. Yes, thank you. And next time you join us, we'll have a t-shirt for you. Oh, oh, I would love that, but no, no pressure. Um, I'll hold out for my my five my fifth episode and the yellow jacket. <laughs> and Christopher, I have a feeling that you laugh heartily at almost everything. I love your laugh, and Stacy, I think you're wonderful. And both of you, Aww. I'm just so flattered that you invited me, and I, I love you know starting my my weekend off with this conversation will be my highlight of the weekend. Well, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. And I know you're shooting off to another clinic. So you've got a busy day ahead of you and I hope I'll get to see you in person soon. And 
And listeners, thank you. We hope you're having a little joy and laughter right now as you listen to this podcast and it adds to your day. Thank you for joining us. And remember, you can follow us on Instagram at O2Starved. That's also our Facebook account. You can also find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com and you can also email us from there or you can comment via the social media channels. And as well, tell all your friends about the podcast. We're on all major podcast platforms. From Stay Stug and Sandra and I, thank you and have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. In Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.